Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn over to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 16. We kind of finished up with our Ecclesiastes studies last week. And so we're going to kind of just have a couple of messages here and there until we kick off the next series. But uh, <clears throat> Mark chapter 16, verse 15, a pretty familiar passage. At least I hope it's familiar. And uh, we're going to go ahead and take a look at uh, not so much that, but just kind of use that as a springboard as we move forward uh, here again, we uh, I, let me just say I, I think that what we're going to find if you look at um, if you look at churches across the country and you consider ministries across the country, I'm talking about Baptist churches, even fundamental Baptist churches. What you're going to find is is that there is a common denominator between churches that remain consistent and faithful in the old paths and those that don't. I'm going to address the issue or the main issue that keeps a church focused and on the right path instead of slipping off into modernism and into uh, evangelicalism. All right? And, and so we're going to address that issue tonight. I'm going, to, I'm going to help you understand that when a church loses focus in this area that we're going to discuss tonight, pretty soon it has to do something to reach people. It has to do something to elicit some kind of response from the community. It's got to do something to encourage folks to attend, to show up, to be a part of the service. God never intended that churches deviate from this purpose that we're going to address. But because churches have allowed this area to slip in their ministries, is they've permitted other things to take precedent over this issue. We've had to introduce things like Contemporary music, a declining 
standard, if you will. Separation has to be dismissed so that we can include people who have yet to commit to the biblical way. Now listen, there's never a good reason why a Sunday school teacher should be living like the world. There's no, there's never, that, that doesn't, that doesn't help anyone. And yet we have compromised in the church over and over again, it seems to me, all because, or should I say, it all begins, in my opinion, with this area. Now, before a church loses its Bible, before a church loses its dress standards, before a church loses its music standard, before a church loses its separation, whether it be ecclesiastical or personal, the fact is, is that it has deviated from this issue. And so I want to address this issue. Found in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, the Bible says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What you're going to find is, as you go through your Christian life, you'll talk to many people that will be very critical and negative of the issue we're going to address tonight. Because they'll say things like, well, you know, there's so many abuses in this area of soul winning. You know, where are all the converts that have been saved? Where are all the people that supposedly have had a new change in their life, but they haven't, we don't see them in church. They've not hit the baptismal waters. Now listen. I'm telling you, those are issues that we have to address. Those are things that on the staff right now we are focusing on. But let me tell you something. That does not negate our responsibility to do as we have been instructed and commanded in Scripture to reach the world with the gospel. We use it as an excuse to to neglect this area of reaching out. We'll go ahead and we'll talk about passing out water or we'll go to the fair and tell people that Jesus loves them, but we will not tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's a little bit too radical. That's a little bit too crazy. It doesn't work like it used to. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter whether it works like it used to or not. It is still God's way. Look at what it says. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now listen, it all began in a garden for you and I. It all starts there. That's a very unlikely place to begin a battle between good and evil, between right and wrong, or for the souls of mankind. That's a strange place for a battle to start in a garden. And yet that is exactly where this battle for the souls of men and women began, in a garden. There in that garden, deception led God's creation into sin. There in that garden, Adam and Eve would be removed ultimately sent away. Why? Because of their sin and what separated them from the God of all creation. Life would be extremely different for them from that point on. It'd be nothing like they had already experienced. The battle for souls, the battle for the eternal well-being of mankind had begun. And Satan would continue to try and thwart God's plan of redemption at every single turn from that day forward. Again, battle after battle would be fought. And battle after battle is still being fought. But there's not a battle that compares to the one fought on Calvary just 2,000 years ago. See, no matter how hard man tries to reach God, no matter how wise mankind becomes, no matter how intellectually sound man is, 
We are not evolving. We are only devolving. And the truth is, is that we are still the same sinner we were back in the garden. Nothing has changed. There is no way that you and I can ever reach God on our own and in our own effort. And so no matter how hard we try, we always come up short. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The bottom line is that you and I cannot measure up to the perfect standard that God sets. He is the standard. The Lord Jesus Christ is a perfect standard and not one of us measures up to his standard. We all fall short of the glory of God. And as a result, God provided himself a sacrifice. I think it's interesting as we look at the Old Testament and as we consider this battle that transpired and took place, how God often gave us great pictures of what he would ultimately do for us. Take your Bible real quickly, turn over to Genesis 22.6. I think this is extremely interesting and it's extremely encouraging, but long before you and I were ever born, God had already intended that he would provide himself a sacrifice. You say, oh, I get it. God himself provided a sacrifice by the name of Jesus Christ. No, God himself was indeed the sacrifice. Look at what it says here in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 22. You might remember the account. We have here, of course, Isaac who is going to be sacrificed. God had told Abram to take him onto the mound and there sacrifice his own son Isaac. They arrive there at the top and Isaac begins to say things on the way like, Hey, Daddy, where's the sacrifice? And God makes, and, and, and Abraham makes a statement that is prophetical. Notice what he says here in verse 6. He says to his son Isaac, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife. Now, he, he lays the wood, the very, the very wood that would ultimately be burned, the very wood that he would ultimately create the sacrifice of the altar with. He says, you get to carry that on up there, son. And son says, his son looks at him and says, now wait a second, we got everything we need, daddy. And he goes on to say, he spake unto Abraham his father and said, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Good question. Look at verse 8. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. We look at that and we say, well, God's going to make provision. God's going to give them a lamb. And we know that eventually Abraham would raise that knife and God would hold up his servant and he would look and there would be a ram in the thicket. We understand that. But I don't believe that prophetically that's what it's addressing. I believe without a doubt that God was saying, listen, you can look at this potential sacrifice, Isaac being a type of Christ, and you can look at it and say, what's going on here? What's taking place? How are things going here? And he says, listen, God himself will provide a sacrifice. Himself a sacrifice. He will be the sacrifice. And you want to know something? Jesus Christ is God in flesh. And Jesus Christ literally became your sacrifice and mine. And in order to win that battle, win the battle between sin and Satan, to win the battle over the souls of mankind, God himself, the creator of all mankind, had to give himself a sacrifice. Nothing or no one else would do. And there he hung on Calvary. The God of all creation, dying for the sins of the world. Listen, he could have called 10,000 angels, but he didn't. 
Instead, he willingly laid down his life and shed his precious, perfect blood. It was absolutely necessary. Absolutely necessary. Not one thing that you could ever do, not one thing that I could ever do to earn God's favor. We were bound in our sin and headed to hell. And God provided himself a sacrifice. After dying, the Lord was placed in a borrowed tomb. And a borrowed tomb would be all that he needed because the grave could not hold him. And death could not defeat him. And there he died, yes, but he rose again the third day. He would ultimately ascend into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession on behalf of us. The blood was shed and the full price paid for sin. And you know, when we speak of the gospel, we can't help but go to 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verses 1 through 4, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, where we note the gospel in its fullness. Addressing the gospel as the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, but which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. We don't have time to go into that statement, but we can go later on into the passage and define what he's talking about, and he's not talking about losing our salvation. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. The Apostle Paul speaking now. He received something, and now he's sharing it with them. He says, I, I received it, I give it to you. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Can I tell you that if you take away this book, if you remove the Scriptures, if you cast doubt upon the Word of God, my friend, there is no gospel. The day that that book ceases to exist, the day that that book would stop making an impact in lives is the day that the gospel ceases making impact. Because see, the truth is, is that the gospel that he says right here, he says, first of all, I received how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Let me tell you what we have today. The only thing that proves to us that Christ died for us, the only thing that we have to hold in our hand that is guaranteeing us a home in heaven one day by the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the book that we read. This is the truth. This is what we have. You may have a feeling about a lot of things, but I have a fact that I hold in my hand. It's the word of God. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now that's the gospel. There is the gospel in a real nutshell, if you will. The death, the burial, and resurrection, all attested to, confirmed by the Word of God. You say, I don't believe in the Word of God. Then you have no hope of salvation in that sense. This is the only place, this is where you find your hope. I'm not saying that someone can't get mixed up and confused. 
I'm not going to go there. And as I said this morning, I'm not going to lose my life uh, or lose my, uh, my bearing by saying things like, well, if at some point you start to question a few things, you're obviously lost going to hell. Well, you know what? I found that in my life I question a lot of things. But what I can't do is start questioning this book. This book is God's word. And you got this book, you can find all the answers you need. It is the Savior and it is the gospel that liberates the soul. And you know, that's an interesting thing. It's this gospel, the gospel that we find in the Word of God, the gospel that the Apostle Paul shared with the church in his day. It's that gospel that he shared around the known world at the time. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul the Apostle, speaking to the church at Thessalonica, says, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail. Now, I don't know about you, but when he starts talking about labor and travail, it takes my mind right to a delivery room. Labor and travail. Has anybody ever been in labor? Don't you raise your hand, gentlemen. Now, you say, I've labored. I know, but you haven't been in labor. Not the kind we're talking about. And if you have, I want to see you after the service because we can make a lot of money. But the fact is, is that is it, it, it reminds me of labor. And let me tell you, there's nothing pleasant about labor. Now, today, we have all kind of medicine that helps. We have, you know, blocks on the spine. We've got all kind of different medical things that can take place to help ease the pain. But let me tell you something. If you don't take some kind of medicine when you're having a baby, uh, it's pretty painful. And there's a lot of, a lot of labor. And it's not simple, it's not easy. And you know what, what he's talking about here is, he says, brethren, you remember our labor and travail. You remember how we stuck to it. You remember how we went forth night and day. You know how we labored. You know how we shed tears. You know how we hurt and strived and struggled for you. Why? Because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preach unto you the gospel of God. He says, I'm going to tell you, you remember, church at Thessalonica, how we took the gospel and we shared it night and day, how we went with tears, how we sought after every soul because we, wouldn't, we did not want to be chargeable. We didn't want to have the blood of someone on our hands. We were convinced that the gospel was all that could liberate and it would be the gospel that would ultimately free you. And We wouldn't quit, wouldn't give up because we did not want to be chargeable unto any of you. I don't want to stand before the judgment seat, he says, and hear somebody say, or, or, or the great white throne, and hear somebody say, if you would have only told me, if you would only shared the gospel, if you would only given me a chance. He says, I don't want to be chargeable to any of you. So therefore, for, for laboring night and day, you remember that labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preach unto you the gospel of God. You know, it's interesting that sometimes we look at the Apostle Paul and we can certainly say, well, yeah, I mean, he had a commission, right? He had a command. God had called him to this ministry. Well, you know, we have that same responsibility today. You know, there was a saying that could be heard in the early 1900s. It went like this. The sun never sets on the British Empire. The sun never sets on the British Empire. And what was meant by that statement was simply that everywhere the sun was shining, 
there was a British colony, there was an occupation or there was some dominion that could be found. That no matter where you went in the world, while the sun was shining, Britain had its, a stronghold in that area or Britain had some kind of presence in that area. Their influence literally covered the globe. Isn't it an amazing thought to think that it never grew dark on the British Empire? That's an amazing thought to me. Somewhere the sun was shining. And it's hard to imagine. Through the years, we've had a number of speakers at our missions conferences. The late Dr. Runyon had spoke at more than one of them. He's in heaven today, but how we were encouraged by his preaching at our missions conferences. At one particular missions conference, Dr. Runyon challenged our church here by saying this, may the sun never set on the gospel ministry of Community Baptist Temple. May the sun never set on the gospel ministry of Community Baptist Temple. You talk about a challenge. Think about that challenge for a minute. I mean, we're talking about the British Empire and how they had a presence around the world, how wherever you went, the sun was always shining. That you could, anytime or anywhere the sun was up, there was the presence or there was some presence of the British nation, that, that nation of Britain there. The empire of, the British, of, Brit, of Britain. Hey, what about us? Do we have a gospel presence? As a church, shouldn't it be our job? Shouldn't it be our goal? Shouldn't it be our dream, if you will? It is our calling and it is our commission to reach the world. Isn't it a wonderful thing to think that we could be in a position in our church through missions and through personal efforts of soul winning, through reaching the world with the gospel, that everywhere, everywhere in this world, wherever the sun is shining, we have a presence. The sun never goes down. Wouldn't that be something? I believe it's a challenge we ought to take. It seems like an impossible task. But again, we can share the gospel through our own personal testimonies. I mean, we can accept the responsibility to tell the gospel to everyone we meet, but we can also support those going where we'll never go in missions. David Livingston was born at Blantyre. Uh, It was about eight miles south of Glasgow on 19 March, 1813. He was born in a single apartment home on the banks of the Clyde River. At the age of 10, like most of the children in his village, he was put to work in the mills. There he would go to work at 6 in the morning and he would get off around 8 p.m. Then, as the children was customary with the children, then they would begin their evening studies, their school studies. And they would ultimately work there, striving to learn their ABCs, if you will, their mathematics and all the normal stuff that children today get to learn in school during the day. And then, of course, most would be so wore out, so tired, that they would simply just fall into bed and asleep till the next morning where they would wake up and go back to the mill. That was not uncommon in his day. But David Livingston, he, he found himself constantly trying to learn more, trying to grow even a little bit more. 
When other kids would fall into bed, he would remain up. He would still have the candle burning and he would be studying and striving to learn all that he could. As a child, his dream was to be a medical missionary to China. He wanted to spread the gospel. When he was 23 years old, he began those medical classes at the Anderson College in Glasgow. He continued his studies in medicine and theology until he finally applied at the London Missionary Society for service in China. After applying, he was called to London for an interview. He was accepted. So he completed his studies, and there, just about the time he was ready to go to China, the opium wars broke out, and he was unable to go. Instead, he met a man by the name of Robert Moffat. Robert Moffat was a missionary to Africa, and Robert convinced David to go to Africa instead of China. Livingston landed in Kuraman, it's called, I think it's Kuraman, and there spent a number of months in training there. He also married the daughter of Robert Moffat. David and his family would move around quite a bit early on in their, their, their marriage and in their, their lives. I mean, they would travel all over the place, and while they were traveling, Livingston would study geology and natural history. He continued to have a tremendous interest in those areas. But as his family got older, as the boys, as the children began to grow, his concern for the welfare and the education of his family made him decide that they needed to go back to Britain. So while in Africa, David Livingston remained, the family would ultimately go back to Britain. While in Africa, he, contacts, he, he, he comes in contact with the African slave trade. And Livingston was so appalled by the African slave trade that he said, he said, um, he, he made the statement, I'm so appalled by this terrible trafficking in human life. And as a result of that, he determined to put a stop to it. He said that the, he thought the cure of slavery was in commerce and in Christianity, kind of a dual issue. So he reached out with the gospel and he explored routes into the jungles of Africa. He believed that Africa's great rivers could prove to be a key in, in kind of traveling through the continent, which of course opening up the continent would be good for their commerce. He called those great rivers the highway to the interior. And he explored and he trekked them to the detriment of his own health, actually. While exploring the rivers, he came in contact with a great waterfall that the natives called the smoke that thunders. And David Livingston called it something you might have heard before, Victoria Falls. David Livingston would ultimately cross Africa from west to east, a journey of some 4,300 miles, mostly on foot. Finally, he set out for England, and he found himself home in 1856. Livingston was the first European to cross Africa. And once he was in London, he put together his diaries and he published them under the title Missionary Travels. The book was an immediate bestseller. After their visit to England, 
he and his wife. Livingston and his wife began their last journey together. It was during this adventure that Livingston faced the most difficult and severest trial of his life. Mary, his wife, died. She died of a disease related to African fever. After her death, Livingston continued to travel. But unfortunately, he found himself severely plagued and weakened by the African fever as well. But that did not discourage him. He kept with his travels. He continued to reach out with the gospel in Africa. He continued to do his travels. And months rolled by and then years without the outside world even knowing where he was. Nobody had heard from Livingston. That's when a New York reporter by the name of Henry Morton Stanley accepted the challenge to find Livingston. On November the 10th, 1871, Stanley's caravan, loaded with supplies, reached David's location. And a thin, frail Livingston stepped out to meet him. As Stanley bowed, took off his hat, and spoke the now famous words, Dr. Livingston, I presume. Livingston and Stanley began a friendship. And after Livingston's death, it would be Stanley who continued with Livingston's work. David Livingston died in Africa on April the 30th, 1873, after a long illness. His body was sent back to England where it was buried in Westminster Abbey. But his heart was buried in the country for which he gave his life. Why did he tolerate? Why did he endure such heartache? Why did Livingston surrender all? Why would he risk life and limb? Because David Livingston was convinced that every creature, that every creature had a right to hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why. And even as David Livingston was convinced that every creature has a right to hear the gospel at least once, you and I must be convinced of the same. I mean, why is it that we preach and teach this book in this pulpit, in every classroom, and on this property? Why is that? Is it so we can just be involved and feel good about our efforts and feel like we've accomplished something and pat ourselves on the back? And No, it has nothing to do with that. It's because there, are, there is a world dying and going to hell. It's because every creature has a right And we have a responsibility to ensure that they hear the gospel. I mean, that is why we fill buses. That's why we provide rides on Sundays to Sunday school and church. That's why we do it. For every creature. 
That's why we meet every Saturday morning or that's why we meet on, 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 on Tuesday nights and scour the community and take the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we win souls or try to win souls. That's why we have the training that we have because we realize that it is our responsibility to take the gospel to every creature. God did not simply place us here in the city of Akron so that we could place some beautiful seats in a wonderful uh, building and gather together and hear some pretty music and listen to the wonderful uh, 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 offertories and see people baptized from time to time or saved and walk the aisles. No, he didn't do that for just simply so that we could be edified in and of itself. He did that because there's a world going to hell. There's a need for every creature to hear the gospel. why we spend thousands and thousands a year in our missions program. It's why we support the missionaries we do. That's why we send them out around the globe. Because every creature has a right and we have a responsibility to hear the gospel, to, to share the gospel. When a church fails to make this their goal, their priority, when we deviate from God's explicit plan to reach the world with the gospel, when we cease being confrontational, when we stop being forward with the message of the gospel, when we fail to share it liberally with others, you're going to find that you have to come up with other methods to build or to grow the church. And sadly enough, because there's enough flesh in all of us, the temptation is to use self and flesh to build what God intended to be built on the backs of soul winning. Someone says, well, I I just think that soul winning's kind of kind of gone by the wayside. This is a new generation. We've, We've moved past that stuff. It's not as important as it used to be. No, it's just as important. It's God's way. And He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, if men and women could give their lives in the early church to reach out with the gospel, if they could literally see their families separated and dispersed, if their husbands could be thrown into prison and wives murdered and killed for the gospel's sake so that they could share the gospel, how in the world can we say it's, it's over with? It's done. Our culture's a little too hard. It's ridiculous. God hasn't changed how we reach the world. We have other opportunities. We have the internet now. We've got television. We've got radio. We have tools, even a printing press that they didn't have in the early church. My friend, we can utilize every tool possible to get the gospel into the whole world. But we can't stop giving the gospel. And the very moment that we say that our church is being built on some other program other than evangelism, my friend, we might as well throw in the town now. We might as well give up and quit now. This church will die. Because God blesses what He endorses. And He endorses soul winning. You bet your bottom dollar. You watch as Baptist churches take the names off. You watch as they start to throw uh, the wrong kind of music onto their stages. You see as their teachers have no more standards. You watch as all this happens and you tell me what's causing it. Why are they throwing their Bibles away? How's come they're getting rid of their separation? Why is all that taking place? I'll tell you why. Because we lost our passion for the gospel. This is what keeps a church alive. The gospel keeps it alive. 
New blood keeps it alive. How ridiculous. We need, we need, we need, preacher, it's important. We got so many marriages falling apart. We got to focus always on marriage. We got to focus on the family. There are no families if there's no soul winning. They'll eventually leave. They'll get disgruntled. They'll go away. You know what? This church ain't going to keep your marriage together. God will keep it together. You know what has, you have to do? Be obedient to him. If you'd get right with God, your marriage would be right. This is ridiculous. Well, we better not lose our, our focus. I, I, I thank God for those that gather on Saturday mornings. I thank God for those that come out on Tuesday nights. But I'm going to be frank with you and I'm going to be as perfectly honest as I can possibly be. And I may share some of the needs, specific needs of our ministry next Sunday night, but I'm going to tell you something. There are so many, there's such a great need for Sunday school teachers in our church. But we don't let people teach Sunday school that aren't willing to have a heart for souls and go out and knock doors. And so you want to know what happens to the pool? It shrinks. And it shrinks fast. And someone says, why do you make such a big deal out of soul winning? How's come you have to go soul winning to be a teacher? How's come you have to go soul winning to sing specials? How's come you got to go soul winning and soul winning? That's all I ever hear. Let me tell you, I hope you get sick and tired of hearing it. Because that's all that matters. We stop winning people to Christ. We stop doing what Jesus Christ came to do. Seeking to save that which was lost. I think some of us just need to get reacquainted with the gospel again. I think some of us just need to get a little bit more on fire about people dying and going to hell. I think our heart ought to break a little more. Some more tears need to be shed. We need to be broken about souls. One of the jobs I gave to one of the staff the other day was simply I want to see a greater percentage of people that are getting saved in that baptismal. And I want to see more people getting saved. So figure it out because we got to start doing something about it. And then I gave the other one and said, listen, I want a greater percentage of the congregation and a greater percentage of our converts being discipled. Because you know every church that pushes soul winning doesn't have any discipleship. So I thought I'd throw a little in. I'm, I'm trying to be facetious. I'm about tired of this idea that churches that emphasize soul winning are shallow. That's not true at all. They're biblical. May the sun never set on the gospel here. And may we, as a church, have influence around the world with the gospel. May we have a passion for missions. May we have a passion for souls. May we not simply say it's good enough to attend church. And I want to implore, I'm begging some of you men in this room to step it up. I'm asking you right now to say, you know what, there's more to my life than simply me. How would you feel if it's your mother that's going to die and go to hell? I mean, would that motivate you to give the gospel? At least to her? 
I would hope. But the truth is, is that as believers, we have a responsibility to reach the world. That's what Jesus came to do. The day the Community Baptist Temple says, soul winning is not that important anymore. We're going to focus on deeper living only. We're going to focus on just learning the Bible. It's important that people get saved, but it doesn't work like it used to. So we'll just hope they come to see us. And when they do, we'll try to talk to them. I promise you this. If you aren't consciously seeking souls, they can walk right up to you and you'll never do anything about it. And that's true in my life. Hey, listen, you say, man, preacher, you're going off. Yeah, and can I tell you, like the old preacher used to say, if there's one point at you, there's three pointing back at me. We better recapture the passion for the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is legitimately to build people, to equip people, to reach the world with the gospel. Yeah, we're to fellowship one with another. Why? So that we can be strengthened, so that we can go out as an army and win the world. So that we can stand in opposition to Satan and see the world saved. Because he's trying to take them all to hell. That's why the bad music, and that's why the immorality, and that's why all the, all the tools and all the tactics... Because he wants to distract them from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, their minds are blinded to the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 tells us. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them who believe not. He's blinded their minds to the gospel. I love talking about football and basketball and baseball. and I enjoy talking about a lot of things. But that's not going to win anybody to Christ. Sooner or later, I've got to open my mouth and give the gospel. May we as a church never dismiss the need for the gospel. May we never negate its importance. May we never look to an abuse in a ministry somewhere or a problem that exists even in our own ministry and use it as an excuse to disregard the command of God. Well, I, I, this, I noticed this, and if that was really true and it was working that way, why doesn't this happen? And since that doesn't happen, you know, I'm just not going to do it. Oh, so we're just going to be disobedient to God's word. Why don't we continue to be obedient to God's word and figure out how we can better that area? We're going to throw the baby out with the bath. Makes no sense. Community Baptist Temple is not here by accident. 25 years after its inception, it is still here. And the only reason it's still here is because we've made a big deal of the gospel. The moment we stop making a big deal of that gospel, the moment we lower our banner, the moment we say it's not important in our workers, the moment we say to everyone, you know what, that's fine. All the other churches are changing. They're all going a different direction. We'll just join them because we want to keep people around. We're done. We're toast. Because I'll be honest with you, as good as as people, oh, preacher, you're really a great singer. Let me tell you something. There are so many, so many more people in the world that can sing so much better. So much better than what was up here. Who are we kidding? You tell me the devil hasn't perfected things like music. We can't compete with the world and what they do. 
We only compete with the world when we do things God's way. Because he's the only one that can overcome the world. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Not me. I'm not bigger than the world. I can't overcome the world, but he can. We better keep things aligned with what God says is important. May the sun never go down on our gospel presence. May we forever be focusing on the gospel here and understand its importance. You work a job, take the gospel with you. You go to school, take the gospel with you. You're at the grocery store, take the gospel with you. You're at the bank, take the gospel with you. I'm convinced in my life if there's one thing I'm going to be ashamed of when I stand before the Lord, it's because there's so many people I haven't witnessed to that I could have if I really wanted to put myself out. And I really don't think that me being kind is going to be a good enough answer in my heart. Well, God, I was kind to them. I didn't want to run them off. He'd be like, how can you run somebody off that's never been there? You at least got to give them a shot. The hospital room, take the gospel with you. Wherever we're at, we need to take the gospel. Because it's the gospel that liberates the soul. It's the gospel that gives freedom to the sinner, that breaks them free from the chains of bondage. Make all the money you want, but I promise you in eternity, souls are going to be what matters. Be as talented as you can possibly be. Be recognized and be admired by the world. But none of that will matter a lick when it's burned up. When we're standing before God and we look around, there's not one person there because of us. The gospel. We can run 50 buses, but if we don't give the gospel, we're wasting our money. We can have 100 Sunday school classes, but if we're not giving the gospel, we're wasting our money. We can meet on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and all the other services, and if the word of God's not going forth, if it's not equipping, if it's not preparing, if it's not focusing on the gospel somehow, some way, if it's not doing its job to prepare us to reach the world with the gospel outside the walls of this building, it's a waste of time. If it becomes a social club here and that's all it is, you're only here for the fellowship, my friend, you've missed the whole point. We're done. Because we can't compete with the world's social activities. We just can't do it. Teenagers are never going to get the kind of social activities they can get out in the world. Listen, don't, don't lie to your kids and tell them that there's nothing fun out in the world. There is. There's pleasure in sin for a season. That's the message we need to share. Oh, yeah, it's out there. Go ahead. Only fortunate things, you're going to finally pay the piper one day. It's going to catch up to you fast. It's only for a temporary season. <clears throat> May God help us to stay focused. May the sun never go down on our gospel presence here. Father, we thank you for just all you do for us and the need that we have, Lord, to focus our attention on you. And Lord, I, I don't know, my own life, Lord, I'm burdened about some things in that area. I want to be better for you in that area. And Lord, it's just a matter of choosing to be so. It's a matter of just stepping out and doing it. It's, I can think about it all day. I just finally got to just do something about it. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help each and every one of us to realize how valuable and important it is to take the time to invest in the soul's 
of men and women, not just their lives, their souls. Father, help us. We need you. Now, Father, be glorified. And we have a good people, Lord. I, my heart, you know my heart. Lord, I don't want to discourage anyone. I hope that, Lord, we're encouraged to think, man, we're on the right track. Let's just do more of it. Father, be glorified in it. May we not allow ourselves to lose sight of you and your purpose for the church even. May you equip us. May you prepare us. May you ready us and strengthen us so that we can make a greater impact in the world we live. A greater impact for the sake of the gospel. We'll thank you. We'll praise you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand.